0: I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey the
1: chris johnston show
0: we are your friends
1: the biggest stories bringing you inside the game what did
0: you hear the chris johnston show powered by sports interaction wanna bet what is going on
1: here's chris with your host julian mckenzie part of the game
0: big money siege i missed you buddy did you miss me i know you're enjoying your summer vacation and all that you you good How are you feeling? I know we got a lot of hockey to talk about, but like this is my first time being on video call with you in about a month. How are you doing? You doing good, buddy? Everything good?
1: Yeah, I'm great. I did miss you. I miss this. I miss producer Nick. I miss the rhythm. I mean, it's it's so funny, right? Like, you want to have breaks, right? It's natural. Mm -hmm. You, You need to go on a vacation, even if it's a staycation, whatever it is. You need a break from the grind sometimes. But then, like... You do that, you relax with it, and it's like, man, I kind of, but I also like the rhythm of my life. All this stuff's going on. We haven't talked about it all yet. Haven't broken everything down. So quite honestly, I was glad you guys were up for this uh, special summer drop-in because uh, I did miss it. And, uh, you know, it's just good to get together. Like, it's crazy. Think about it. We talk twice a week. Like, I talk to you more than I talk to, like, most of my best friends. I mean, in terms of frequency, just the way that the nature of our work is. So... Uh, not to say you're not one of my close friends, my man, but I just mean, like, we, we we are talking more than most people in my family, basically, at this point in time, and then a month goes by, and we've we've only had a few texts here and there.
0: That's true, man. Like, I love when our group chat is, like, going off on, like, the most, like, random stuff. It's like, I still, even though we're not doing the show, like, I'm still connected. To you and, and producer Nick, and, and obviously the rest of the SDPN and stuff. So, get into it, but it's nothing like doing a show. It's nothing like being on camera. Like, literally, these last few weeks, I've just been lazing around my apartment. That was after, obviously, I uh, went back home in Montreal and all that. But, like, I've, I've just been lazing around my apartment just looking for something to do. So, I'm very
1: happy. I'm very
0: happy we're doing
1: this. Yes, guy. I love it. Let's get into it.
0: Okay. Um, let's talk about the biggest thing that happened. Uh, over the last few days, uh the Eric Carlson trade from San Jose to Pittsburgh, uh, Montreal also getting involved as well. How did this all come together? Why did this take so long? like where why are we, like wh- what's your analysis of this trade that has now brought Eric Carlson, the reigning Norris trophy winner, to the Pittsburgh Penguins, under the watchful eye of Kyle Dubas Well,
1: why did it take so long? Look at the trade man. Like if you don't have notes in front of you, could you say all the pieces i mean it's like twelve pieces in this trade and and three nope. teams and and we've just, and we've just now I don't seen have any notes in front of largest contract right there you go and and we've just now seen the largest contract in the NHL salary cap era be traded. I mean we hadn't seen a deal of ten million or more get moved in in this time, and so that's why it took so long and I have to say for me, this is one of the more interesting trades. I think we've seen in years in in a lot of ways. Like I I think that it's probably best almost to like focus in on each team, like what they were trying to accomplish and what they did or didn't in our estimation, because it's, it's actually so complex in a sense about what everybody was doing and why it worked. And and Mm -hmm. so I think it's almost a miracle. It came together. Um, You know, you look back, we've been talking, I know on our show, like in, you know, February, January, could the Sharks move Carlson? You know, Kyle Dubas even mentioned when he met the media this week in Pittsburgh that his conversations go back to his previous employer. Meaning, when he was with the Leafs, he was having discussions with the Sharks about Carlson. And we know the Leafs were one of the teams that were at least in there in the preliminary, you know, late June, early July section of this. And then, you know, ultimately Pittsburgh hammered away. I mean, it it took every bit of this time when when you know hockey goes through free agency, we get through the draft, free agency, a couple of signings, you get some arbitration hearings, but hockey starts to go quiet. Nothing went quiet behind the scenes with the Sharks mm-hmm. and Penguins. And then ultimately they had to make a decision over the weekend because Pittsburgh did have a buyout window, um, you know, which they maybe could have had to use depending on how this came together. It turned out they didn't. And uh, my goodness, I mean, you're adding a three-time Norris trophy winner, a guy coming off a hundred point season as a defenseman to a team that's just somehow trying to, to compete for a cup again. I mean, I, I think the storylines are juicy and I think it's a really interesting trade from every aspect we might look at it from.
0: I I love the fact that Kyle Dubas has wasted no time in establishing a core four in Pittsburgh as a result of this trade.
1: Well, why not? I mean, it's a different core four. I mean, like I saw uh, producer Drew was out there trolling on the internet there. If if you saw his tweet, but you know, in all seriousness, you look at what the Leafs core four under Kyle Dubas has paid, this core four is paid markedly differently. I mean, Eric Carlson's the top earner against the cap at $10 million as a charge to the Penguins. I mean, the Leafs have three players that make more than that, right? So it's not, it's not quite the same thing. Obviously, we're talking about players at an advanced age. I don't think anyone knows how this is going to work exactly. And I, I think that that, to me, is part of what has my intrigue here. But this is the other thing Pittsburgh had. Before they made this deal, Julian, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. had cap problems, right? They traded for Riley Smith. They, they, they signed a bunch of guys on or about July 1st. And they were a different spot. They had three goaltenders, three NHL goaltenders. And in one fell swoop, they get rid of their two or three of their most problematic contracts. I would say Michael Granlin didn't live up to his $5 million cap hit in the time he was with the Penguins. It was a short run. But still, that was not a good move for Pittsburgh. It wasn't looking good. At this stage of his career, Jeff Petrie wasn't worth the $6.25 million. he was commanding on the cap. Uh, they get rid of a goalie in Casey to Smith. They actually improved their cap position and added Eric Carlson, which I think is a difficult thing to accomplish. And they also only ended up giving up one first round pick. Now that it could be a good first round pick. That that's maybe some of what time will will tell. Because if Pittsburgh misses the playoffs next year, that could be the 11th overall selection, and and you know it's a decent and first round pick. But all things considered, I don't know how this is going to work out for Pittsburgh but I do know they actually made their cap picture cleaner and got Eric Carlson in the trade, which, which I would say would be almost impossible. I mean, any of the other teams that were looking at trading for Eric Carlson, I think the, the reason it didn't get far enough beyond maybe initial talks with the Sharks is no one could do it without totally screwing up their cap board. Somehow Pittsburgh managed to clean up its cap picture and add Carlson. And I think that that's where Kyle Dubas does deserve some praise. I mean, ultimately, who knows? They could still miss the playoffs next year. I, I don't, I'm not saying this this makes them a cup contender, but it's a bold play, and it was also one that makes a lot of sense in terms of their the bigger picture. And I think that that's, I mean that's that's quite a win. I, I don't know how they managed to pull that off, honestly. Um, just given the the amount of money Carlson's owed,
0: this has to work, right? Because they've offloaded that first round pick, and, and I get they have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang with with Eric Carlson. But we all know that Core is aging. It was Sidney Crosby's birthday on Monday. He just turned 36. Like this, like I, I know people are wanting, oh, well, you know, if this season doesn't work out well, they could start that rebuild. This kind of has to work, right? Or am I seeing this
1: wrong? No, it has to work. And and look at the most significant thing to me is is not just Sidney Crosby's birthday. He's got two years left on his deal, right? And so I think at minimum, Pittsburgh is gonna try to be as competitive as possible for those two years, at minimum. Now, Latang and Malkin are signed beyond that window, and I think ideally they'd like to have three or four more years. But who knows how these things are going to age. But I think, you know, if you're Kyle Dubas, you have to have a real intense focus. I know that he's also thinking about how does he transition away from this group eventually. That's that's sort of the second part of his job. But I think the first one really has to be trying to give Pittsburgh the best chance to win this season. Because that's that's all you really got for sure when you, when you have players of this age Obviously, we, we hope that they stay healthy, but injuries come into it at this stage. Decline in performance comes into it. Just all all these things are un, a little bit unpredictable. And so, you know, adding, you added Eric Carlson, and you really yeah. you didn't give up anything you wanted to keep anyway, other than the first round pick. I'd say. I mean, that's pretty darn good business. Now, can Carlson repeat his season? How do the minutes get spread with Latang? I mean, I would I would presume, and obviously, no one yet is sort of commenting or saying this officially, but I would presume Carlson kind of moves into the number one defenseman spot with Pittsburgh and maybe it's Latang's role that gets reduced slightly or altered. Um, you know, those will all be coaching decisions at some point in time. But it's like, how do you make this work is now probably the most pressing question for Pittsburgh, but you're right. It has to work. It has to give them a chance to get, they, they have to be playing playoff games. I think at yes. minimum, I mean, if they lose in the first round, no one's going to say, Hey, this was a success, but, but you know, no one, in Pittsburgh liked the fact that this was the first time the core of that team had missed the playoffs ever together and so I think that that's the, the first hurdle for them you know Kyle Dubas if you look at his time in Toronto he was always an active in-season GM too I, I don't think it stops here you know between now and next trade deadline I think Pittsburgh will probably be looking to add and tinker and do what they can to best position themselves but th- this it's not going to get bigger than this I mean you you see a, a Norris trophy winner get traded like twice in a generation, like it never happens. Right. And and I know there's a lot of unique factors here. And the fact that Carlson had tailed off and then had this amazing season last year, I think sets the ground for this kind of trade. Um, but yeah, from Pittsburgh's end, th- th- this has to work because they all know there is a tomorrow, not too far in the future that, you know, you're basically tearing things down or you these players are maybe retiring. I mean, who knows? At some point, we might be talking about, do you trade, you know, does City Crosby play a season somewhere else? I, mean, I, I think that's, it's too premature to even speculate on that beyond acknowledging, though, that these guys want to still win a Stanley Cup again if they can. And ideally, they want to try to do it together. And that's what next season's about. But, you know, beyond that fact that things are going to change in Pittsburgh, but, you know, for a GM that's hired at the end of May, start of June, I mean, this, this is a pretty big set of moves, even when you look at free agency and, and the other trades Dubas has made. I mean, he's he's put an immediate stamp on this team. It, it it it's got the same pieces in in the core of it, but he's you know we can reasonably say this is his team. Like when you look at that forward group, there's there's a lot of new faces there, and you know we'll have to see if it works. I mean, it that's why I think the Penguins they're, they're going to be must watch again. I mean, they've kind of been sliding towards like eh, you know yesterday's news a little bit. I, I think that they're going to be one of the most compelling teams entering the season, just seeing how this experiment works.
0: Totally agree. Can we spend a bit of time on Kent Hughes and the Canadians for a second? They were involved in this trade. They get Jeff Petrie back, and there seems to be some reports going around. I know Eric Engels from Sports that was first on this, that the Canadians might move him. Uh, There may be some other rumblings that maybe Casey DeSmith might not be long for another place beyond Montreal. What's your assessment about Montreal's end of that trade and the pieces that they got?
1: Well, it's twofold, right? They got rid of Mike Hoffman's contract in this in this trade. It, it goes to San Jose as part of the three way trade, and they didn't have to retain any salary there. They got Jeff Petrie with Pittsburgh retaining one or twenty five percent of his salary rather. And they get Casey DeSmith, who's, you know, at times been a very, very serviceable average to slightly above average goaltender. And so I think if you're the Canadians, you view the the older players that they're taking on. As assets, right? I think that's kind of the way Kent Hughes is, has managed, you know, since taking the, the job in Montreal. His his older players, by large, he's traded the likes of Tyler Tofoley going back a couple of years, Joel Edmondson uh, earlier in the summer. I mean, he's he's moved out guys like that, and so I think that that certainly they'll look to do that. But I don't know that they absolutely have to do it. I mean, certainly there's going to be there's going to be a glut and goal if, if they don't move to Smith or Jake Allen or someone else. I mean, there's, you know, there's only so many roster spots and, and, you know, waivers would come into play if they didn't make a trade prior to the start of the season. But I think that they have the ability to be a bit patient. And then, you know, clearly, in my eyes, Petrie is is probably the best pure asset in the the deal that they're getting, just simply because if they now retain 50% of his his, uh, contract in a deal, I mean, he's only slightly more than a $2 million defenseman. And I think at that price, even at his age, I, I think a lot of teams... We'll look at that as a positive thing. You know, a team to keep an eye on is Dallas. I know that their team over the last couple of years have had interest in Jeff Petrie. I mean, the stars, like a lot of teams in the league, don't have endless cap space. And I think there's been a multitude of reasons maybe that they haven't been able to act on a trade partner now. But all of a sudden, the conditions are in place where, you know, maybe the trade doesn't happen by the training camp. Maybe it doesn't happen by the start of the regular season. But certainly in these next few months, I think the Canadians can really – look at what's out there for Petrie and if it makes sense for them to, to move him or not. Um, You know, I think they're going to want to do right by the player too. Remember, this is someone that they have a long history with uh, on a personal level, you know, played a lot of great seasons in Montreal. Um, You know, the the Canadians last summer honored his trade request and and moved him to Pittsburgh. Uh, But there's, there's, I think there's a a lot of familiarity and comfort there and they're going to want to do the best for the team and for him personally. And so I, I don't know that, we can say today he's going to be moved in the next two weeks. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but certainly it's it's a possibility that he's, I think a likelihood he's traded at some point. And so for the Canadians, you know, they're, they're just taking on assets and they're, they're adding picks still, right? I mean, they're they're using cap space, they're weaponizing their cap space to get more draft picks. And I think where they're at in their in their development, that makes sense. And, you know, they're, they were the key to this deal in the end. I mean, there was multiple third-party teams that were talking to, to Pittsburgh and San Jose, trying to make the puzzle pieces fit. And Montreal was the one where everything fell perfectly into place. And I, I do like the trade from their end of things, quite honestly. I mean, they, they just stepped in here. They added some assets. They, they got rid of a contract in Hoffman's. That I think that they they've been looking to move for some time. Uh, I know they lost Rem Picklick as well, going to, to Pittsburgh as part of the trade, but you know, they, they add a draft pick, they add these guys, I think will turn into draft picks and even a young player from Pittsburgh in the deal. And so, it's hard not to like that piece of business from Kent Hughes' perspective.
0: So, how would you rate Mike Greer's uh, job in all of this? He offloads Eric Carlson. He gets a first round pick. It doesn't have to retain a lot of salary when it comes to Eric Carlson's contract,
1: which is probably something his owner likes, right? I mean, we all, when we're playing armchair GM on our podcast or when you're doing that with your buddies talking about how these things work, I think you're going to look at the Carlson return. You're going to go, wow, that's light. Right, like he, they didn't get anything that's that exciting. If you're a member, you know, if you're a Sharks fan right now, but you have to remember, his owner did not want to retain a lot of salary. His owner didn't have a high degree of comfort paying Eric Carlson, say, three or four million a year to play somewhere else and perhaps to play very well. And and if he was willing to do that, I think the trade probably could have been done during the season. Right, if if the Sharks were willing to make Eric Carlson a seven and a half million dollar player, say. He might have been moved before February's deadline and the return would have been better, but that would have had punitive um, impact on where the Sharks would be in terms of that money would be just sitting on their cap for three more seasons, right? Four more seasons, rather. And so that, that's a lot to have to eat. I mean, I think in terms of the actual financial picture, but even just for how that impacts, you know, a time when San Jose is going to be looking to be better. And so I would say on paper, the, the return doesn't look that great. Let's be honest, I man. I think that's what it is. But there is value, and it's hard to measure that value today. In not having to pay Eric Carlson anything more than one point five million on your cap, you know, for these next number of years. And and really, what's the Sharks' biggest problem? They have some anchor contracts. You know, Mike Greer's come in, and he's you know he moved out Brent Burns last summer. Um, you know, he's he's been able to trade a couple players off, but there's there's other guys. I, they're just immovable objects, and and that in a lot of ways. The players earned those contracts. They earned them at a time when the Sharks were competing for the Cup every year. But the problem now is when you're trying to turn things over, it's hard to do business when you have that that on your cap sheet. And so I think the San Jose end, you have to believe that they're going to use that space wisely, that there's value in having that space. And yeah, you just, you know, they had to make the trade this summer too, Julian. Like When you look at it, Eric Carlson, if we did this podcast a year ago exactly today, we were doing this August 8th, 2022. And you said, what about Eric Carlson? Could the Sharks move him? I would say no chance. 99.9% not happening. You know, just the two onerous. But because of the season Carlson had, I think it created the conditions where this could happen. But let's face it. If if he gets injured, if his performance drops off next season, and, and that if, and if he was still in San Jose, I mean, I think it's an immovable contract. And so they did the best they could under the circumstances. At the end of the day, while Carlson talked to a lot of teams, remember, he had a no-movement clause here. So he he was able to control this to a certain degree. Obviously, he had to had to be talking to teams that he'd want to play for. But if there was three at the end, he was going to choose which of the three. You know, I, I think the Sharks did reasonably well. Now, you know, I almost want to grade – I want to say to Mike Greer's part of this report card, not complete. Like, I want to see what he does oh. with these next couple years. What does he do with these next couple years? What does he do with the Mike Hoffmans and, and the players he he brought in? Does he turn them into – other draft picks i mean i think that there's opportunity here for him to do so um but i'm not i'm certainly not giving him a failing grade i think on paper again it's an underwhelming return for the player you're trading but you're not just trading a player man you're trading the contract and they, they they managed to move a deal as i say 12 months ago to the day i would have said you were never trading that deal and so you know i think by that measurement it, you should be encouraged by it but now it's still, you know, it's much easier to tear down than build up. And, and eventually we're going to be looking at San Jose and saying, what are you building up? What assets are you bringing in? I mean, ideally in this trade, probably you'd want the Sharks to be retaining 50% because that's the maximum value you could get out of the player. And if they were retaining a huge amount of money, maybe they would have maybe they'll get some real prime assets in the deal. And, and, you know, I'm not sure they did that, although we'll see where that first round pick ends up. It's top 10 protected next year, but, you know, maybe it, 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 to 2025. And in 2025, it's a top pick. I mean, we've seen that sort of thing happen in the past. Um, You know, it's, it, it's a time will tell kind of deal from San Jose's end, but I do think they had to move Carlson. He he wants to play for a cup too. I mean, at the end of the day, let's talk about the player. This isn't just a contract and, and, you know, salary cap league. I mean, this is, this is one of the best players who's, you know, wants the chance to win a Stanley cup. I'm not sure if Pittsburgh if he could just choose every team in the league, I wonder how far down the list he would get to before Pittsburgh would have been there. Like, forget the return. If, if you just said to Eric Carlson, in order, what teams do you think you have the best chance to win a cup with? I mean, does he get to 10 before he gets to Pittsburgh? I don't know. What do you think?
0: Colorado, Vegas. I'm trying to think of some, other, I mean, Dallas may, might maybe gets a one-up on Pittsburgh because of how good they've been playing.
1: Carolina, maybe. maybe. maybe you know, one of the teams that Carolina, was actually...
0: maybe. Yes, absolutely. They were Dem- that, that, right. They were in- you know,
1: Seattle was in on them.
0: Yes, they were. I I thought about Seattle too. Are they high up on on Pittsburgh? But like, but the, gotta remember too. Even though Sidney Crosby and that core is is aging, it's still Sidney Crosby still playing at a high level. If Getty Malkin too, and, and Chris Letang, who has had all these health issues, he's still able to play. Like. I still think if goaltending doesn't let them down on those last few years, barring, like, let's forget last year, but those two previous years, if goaltending doesn't let them down, they at least went a round or two. I I still believe that with this Penguins team. It's just, I don't know what they'll look like now.
1: Well, in that Rangers series two years ago, you know, Crosby got knocked out of it and he was playing awesome. If you remember, I mean, there's, there's a world where healthy Sidney Crosby one more save and and they're the team that goes to Eastern conference final that year. Like, I mean, I know that we can play this game with every team, Every you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's a results business oh, yeah. to a certain degree. But I think, that, I think the Penguins look at a team like the Golden State Warriors, Julian. And remember, Golden State had their long sort of run where they were in it every year winning it or, or very close. They had the fall off and everyone wrote them off and then they came back and won again. Like I, they, in, again, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm not betting on this. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just saying, I think that they believe internally they can do it one more time against the odds. And you have to like your odds, the more difference making Eric Carlson's attitude too, right? Like he's a, yeah. he's a competitive guy. He loves that about him. Like he changes, he changes things for you. And, and you know, he's going to be hungry too. Like he's, he's got the same birth certificate. Like he can look at it and go like, Oh crap. Like, like he doesn't have, he knows he doesn't have forever years. And and look at, he's got a hundred million bucks or whatever, hundred Schmel bud. He's got all the money he needs. He's got the, the personal hardware. We can already, as you know, we can already put him in the hockey hall of fame. It's it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of three years after he retires, he's in. He's got one goal left. He wants that big shiny silver thing. And and I, I don't know. I, I can talk myself into like in the middle of summer, I'm looking outside. The sun's shining. I can I can talk myself into Pittsburgh being a, a team that can get it done again. I, I realize I'm you're you're almost expecting everything to go right. That could it's going to take something like that, but it's it's not impossible.
0: You, I could tell you really missed us because I, I feel like you almost went like ten minutes uninterrupted on on how Eric Carlson could mean so much to this Pittsburgh Penguins team. I know you missed us.
1: I did. I, I love a good story, uh, man. And I got. Yeah, and I, I know I you say, do. As much as, and as much as I get excited for the young guys in this league, and we always shout those guys out. I still got like a soft spot for these players that have been around. That you know that I've gotten to know a little bit better, maybe over the years just through time. And it's kind of cool when when a career is getting to the the back nine, the the last three holes. Like, what can you get done? I mean, who would have again? Who would have called a hundred point season for Eric Carlson? I mean. The the guy, it's sort of what you're saying about Crosby and Malkin. Like these guys are old, and part of you has logic in your brain, but the other part is like it's still Sidney Crosby. Like he's still getting like 70, 80 points every year, and he had a hundred point season two years ago, right? So I mean, it's like it it could it could work. It could work, and uh, I like that they're trying at least. Like I think if you're a fan in Pittsburgh or of that team, what else can you ask for? Like they they've got your attention now, right? They, they've yes. at least said like hey you got to watch the games and this you got to start to dream a little bit this is this is not uh cynical gming this is like we're, we're swinging for the fences and let's see what happens let's get
0: to you can bet that really quickly and then i want your takes on some of the other free agent moves that have happened this offseason <laughs> You Can Bet That with David Bastl. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Hopefully you are following the... uh Sorry, hopefully you are following the Women's World Cup. Uh England, currently the favorite to win at plus 239. Spain at plus 344. Japan, plus 492. The three best odds uh for the uh, remaining teams in this year's world cup i am sad that jamaica is no longer in it but i am very proud nonetheless to see the reggae girls go as far as they did Uh, they lost to colombia earlier today
1: yeah it's been a good tournament it's funny i was in europe for a good part of july and just with the the more favorable time zone it was easier to follow it because you get up in the morning there and, and the games were on um, I got a weird feeling Australia might do something special. I, I don't know, Ooh. you know, hosting the tournament. I don't know where their odds fall on the board. I also, I, would, I like Japan too. Like they seem to be in a team that's really kind of opened some eyes and been kicking butt. Um, but, you know, it's been an interesting tournament. You know, selfishly, I want to see the Canadian women play a little bit longer. That didn't work out. Yeah. The U.S. gets stunned. And so, you know, it's it's kind of feels like a bit more like a free-for-all. Uh, but if I had to have a pick, Julian, I'd, I'd say don't sleep on Australia.
0: Okay. I like that. I'm going to I'm going to look at Japan. I think Japan still has a – I'm going to say Japan will be my pick. But to your point, yeah, this tournament has been pretty unreal. Uh, Germany done before the, they reached the knockout stage. Uh, the United States, you mentioned them uh, losing to Sweden by mere millimeters off that penalty shot. And, and Canada, of course, a disappointing run for them. Uh, but, yeah, some very intriguing
1: results. And Japan wins for best uh, kit. So, I mean, even if they don't win the tournament, I, I love the unis. So, <laughs> Look, they, they, they love... can always hang their hat on that.
0: If there's one podcast you can count on for style takes, it's the Chris Johnston show. Love it. Absolutely love it. Love, love the fact you have an opinion on kits. We need your top 10 at some point.
1: I, I couldn't do 10, but I, I just, the Japanese ones really caught my eye.
0: No, no worries, no worries. We'll 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 get you to do some fun style stuff at some point. And also for you watching and listening at home, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. Are you um going to the beach anytime soon?
1: No, but I am gonna go swim in the pool here shortly. So mm,
0: okay. All right. Just away
1: with bad. my with my family, extended family. We've got all the kids here, nieces and nephews oh, and nice. the like. And so Uncle CJ will be down at the pool uh, roughhousing with the boys uh, in inside an hour from now.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's let's get you closer to that time with the extended family. I just want your takes on some of the other big moves that have happened across this offseason. Not just free agent signings and trades, but some other personnel moves. Let's start with the Alex Dabrinkit trade. Uh, and the signing to Detroit. You called it uh, on this show. Uh, I don't know if you were the very first, but you were definitely among those who said that uh, a, a trade, a move to Detroit was in the stars for Alex DeBrinkkett.
1: Right. And I mean, part of it, it just made sense, right? it's It's the hometown team for DeBrinkket. He was remember, he was one year out from being able to be an unrestricted free agent. So he had some degree of say in this. I think it was always in the Senators best interest to find a place where he was willing to sign an extension, uh, which he was, he signed a pretty favorable extension, right? A little less than $8 million, uh, on the AAV on that deal. And so I think it's, it's, I don't know if we'll go as far as to say it's team friendly, but it's, it certainly isn't swinging for the mood. To me, it's a sign of how badly he wanted to play there. And ultimately Ottawa had to deal with a, a small group of teams where he was willing to consider that kind of, um, contract and that kind of situation. and, and, so in, in a lot of ways it, it reflects what we saw with Pierre-Luc Dubois going from Winnipeg to LA and earlier in the off season where, you know, the player had a fair bit of control, even if the team still had one more year of official control by, by the CBA standard of that definition. And so, yeah, to bring it, you know, I think for Ottawa, if you look at the, the, the decision, in its totality, you know, they didn't get out of him what they hoped to, in you know, by giving up the seventh overall pick um, back in the 2022 draft, but, you know, they get out of it what they could and, and they move forward. And, you know, we still see the Senators get active this offseason. They signed Vladimir Tarasenko, um, you know, pretty deep into free agency, I think, to try to replace some of the goal scoring you're losing uh, with someone like the Brinkett and, and, you know, pretty low risk deal for, for Tarasenko, just a one-year contract. And so I think I think all things considered, probably the biggest question we have in Ottawa right now, Julian, has nothing to do with the Brinkett trade, even the Tarasenko signing. To me, it's what what's what's it going to look like in their crease? I think if they get some saves, they're a team that that has a chance to climb up and maybe steal one of those wild card spots uh, and and make the playoffs. I think that that they're at that point where certainly internally at the organization with a new ownership group coming into place here in the fall. I mean, that's that's going to be a step that they're looking to take, but you know, their biggest bet for me of the entire offseason in Ottawa was signing Unis Corpasalo to the contract they did on July 1st and and you know, is that going to be enough with with Forsberg coming back and hopefully being healthy? And Corpasalo, is that tandem good enough to to get them into the mix in the Atlantic Division or at least in the Eastern Conference when it comes to a wild card spot? Only time will tell. But you know, Dubrickett, I think under some duress, probably the best kind of trade you can make um, for Pierre Dorian because again, we're we're in a, we're in a bit of a players' league right now. I mean, there's there's a few other situations out there that that might end up mirroring this. I think Dubois is the closest one that's happened already this summer, but you know, if, if the player isn't signing long-term with you and he's only got one year of control left, I mean, you're, you're just not going to get huge returns back. And that's that's kind of how I view the Dabrinkit situation. And, you know, as for Detroit, what's interesting there, of course, is they're a team like Ottawa in a lot of ways. You know, they're, they're looking to, to climb up and try to be competing for those same playoff spots. And they're just it, – it's such a tight conference, the East, really. Um, when you look at Buffalo being in that spot, you know, with Ottawa – Montreal maybe isn't quite as far along in their rebuild or retool, whatever we call it. But, I mean, at some point, the, the ship's going to turn over, right? And I don't know that it's going to be this coming season, but I think in the next two years, we're going to see a bit of a shift in the balance of power uh, when it comes to some of these, these you know, teams in that Atlantic division specifically.
0: Just want to ask a quick thing with Ottawa this is just me here. Maybe you could tell me if I'm wrong. Shouldn't the biggest question surrounding the Ottawa senators, especially with that new ownership group coming in, is what is Pierre Dorian's future going to be with this organization? That's just my thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a question, and that's going to be a conversation and a topic. Like, that That, that won't go away. I, I just think with the fact that that ownership change hasn't officially happened, I know Michael Anlauer has been around the team. He was at you know their, their development camp. Uh, recently and, and, you know, he, he's starting to get his hands on the operation, but he's not officially in control yet. And so I, I would think there's probably one more year of runway or at least, a, you know, there's going to be time here, I think, where further assessment has to happen um, before necessarily there's a change there. But yeah, that's that's a fair question. But, you know, Pierre Dorian's been running the ship this summer. I mean, the, the team that's, that's due to report to training camp in five weeks' time that, that's Pierre Dorian's team. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, he's been responsible uh, for the decisions of that organization at the hockey ops level for a long time. And, and that includes, you know, July when they, when they make the Debrinca trade, when they, you know, make the signings they did in free agency. And so this is still his team and until otherwise informed and nobody's been informed otherwise just yet.
0: Let me talk about another Eastern Conference team, the Boston Bruins. Uh, Patrice Bergeron announcing his retirement; he will no longer be the one C for the Boston Bruins. And uh, David Krejci, uh, I think a lot of people are expecting him to announce his retirement. His future is still very much up in the air. What do you make of the Boston Bruins in their center situation?
1: I mean, you're just not replacing that guy, right? <laughs> That's the hard part, and they would know that internally, right? I think that they've been preparing for the day. They've understood that even last year there was a chance when it came to the summer that Bergeron would walk away. You know, I, I should say first and foremost, one of the most gentlemanly players I ever had the pleasure of dealing with during my time, my career. Everything you've heard about him from afar has been reflected in my personal experiences with Patrice Bergeron. Just just a truly unique guy. You know, I think his, his Selkie Awards his, everything speaks for, for what he is. But now he's walked away after a really good season. And he's won another Selkie Award. So, I mean, full credit to him to have that sense of timing and to, to just, you know, whether it's, you know, he's had another baby this summer, his wife did, and and you know maybe feeling on the family front it was time or just something with his body. Like, who, who knows exactly what led him to that point. But it couldn't have not have been an easy decision, especially with the regular season the Bruins had last year, setting all the records, losing in the first round, you know, with, with Bergeron not being able to play all those games, you know, suffering a back injury late in the year. I mean, it, it, it set up for him to return in a lot of ways. And if if you're the movie scriptwriter, you're saying he comes back for one more year and the Bruins go at it, and, and that's not what's going to happen. And so I, I don't think it's a precipitous fall necessarily coming to Boston, but I, I don't know how they fill his minutes. And, and certainly with Krejci's decision looming still – you know, if you lose your top two centers, I don't care what team you are. I don't care what your prospect list looks like. I mean, it's just it takes a long time to, to get players of that caliber. And, and so, you know, it puts Boston in a little bit of a hole. But, I mean, first and foremost, you tip your cap to a player who had a huge impact on the league on, on kind of I look at that team. I mean, there's probably been a few teams in the generation that I've covered the NHL. That team had a feel, right? Like that team, truly. Every team talks about culture. The Bruins had a culture, right? And and yes. someone like Patrice Bergeron, obviously, it was Zidane Chara. I think Brad Marchand. You see Charlie McAvoy. He's probably the next wave of that. David Pasternak. I mean, all these these players that that spent a long time as Bruins have really sort of nurtured that. And I think I think Bergeron is a huge part of that. And and you know, selfishly, I'm just sad to see him walk away. To be honest, just because I think he's such a a great you know, sort of ambassador for the sport. And, and I think he still had some juice left, but you know, it's, it's, it's also nice in a way to see someone leave when they feel like it's time, you know, because sometimes players hang on too long. Maybe that they, they subject themselves to further injury, maybe not as great a quality of life in retirement. You know, in this case, Bergeron, I you know, clearly he's, he just felt that the time was right. And I don't know if he saw his press conference, Julian, but it's, it's him in a golf shirt alone at a podium. Like, it was just so understated in a lot of ways. And, and that's the guy. That, that's really the guy. You want to know a weird Patrice Bergeron story? I would love to
0: hear a weird Patrice Bergeron story. Absolutely.
1: Very early in my career, one of actually my first cool assignments out of nowhere when I was young, is I got a chance to go cover the 2006 Men's World Hockey Championship. And that tournament was played in Latvia. Oh six, of course, was an Olympic year uh so the the tournament games had happened in february and so when they it came time to send a team to the the worlds in may or april they went with a young team they weren't asking the you know at that time they weren't asking the Ed Jovanovskis or the Ryan Smiths or, you know, the, the guys that represented canada and so it ended up being a really good young team you had crosby there um you had bergeron uh, a whole bunch of guys and You know, so I was over there. I covered that tournament. I was a really green reporter in a lot of ways. And, you know, I covered the event. And it was like five years later, like five years pass. I do one of those NHL car wash things where the players come and you get very brief one on one, say a 10 minute one on one with the players. And Patrice Bergeron walks in my room and he just looks at me and he goes, Latvia. (laughs) I couldn't believe he remembered that I had been in Latvia covering the world championship. And it had happened, like, in the years since. Every time I'd see him, he'd say, like, Latvia or Riga. That's pretty uh, funny. And I just thought it's it's so – it was just, like, I don't even know why it stuck in his memory. I mean, it, it's – like, you must have this experience. And I don't say this – I'm actually not saying anything bad about players. I think a lot of times when players do their media responsibilities, they almost see – they don't see a face. Like, they just – they do it. It's part of their day. Some of them like it. Some of them like it so much. Like, it's not always – you know, it's it's a little bit transactional, right? But I just thought it was funny. Like, how the heck of all the reporters he talks to, did he remember that I was in Latvia? Uh, and like, literally five years later, he just walks in a room and just yells Latvia at me. And he did it again recently. I wish I could remember when, but a year or two ago, he did it again. So um, I guess I guess Patrician I will always have Latvia, even though I, I actually have no I have no specific recollection of interviewing him there. I, I obviously must have. I mean, how else would he remember me? But I don't even have a story from that tournament. Uh, When it comes to him or I, it's not like we we weren't hanging out having coffee, right? I was just doing my job and he was doing his job. But uh, it's funny. I I have a feeling I'm going to see him in like 10 years time at some, you know, in a press box somewhere. He's, you know, he's going to work for a team at some point or be doing something. And he's going to see me in the press box. He's going to say Latvia. I'd put money on it.
0: Let me go from Patrice Bergeron uh, up in Boston to Conor McDavid. Uh, His agent, his longtime agent, Jeff Jackson, Promoted to the Edmonton Oilers front office. Uh, very intrigued about him and his new position uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. What do you think about Connor McDavid's agent, Jeff Jackson? Oh, and can you remind everyone uh, who Je- uh, who um, uh, Connor McDavid's new agent is when you explain uh, your pros about uh, Connor McDavid and the new development?
1: Yeah, a lot of layers to this onion, you call it. And so Connor McDavid now you know, slides over to Judd Muldaver who's also from Wasserman Hockey, which is where Jeff Jackson works. So it's it's essentially Connor McDavid staying in the same agency, but now he's represented by the same agent as one Austin Matthews. And so Judd Moldaver, already pretty big agent in the industry, let's face it, he has Roman Yossi, Zach Rensky, um, a whole bunch of other clients. But now he's also got McDavid and Matthews, who between them have a number of the most recent Hart Trophy um Ted Lindsay Awards, Rocket Richard trophies between them. I mean, they both have pretty full cabinets. Uh, so that that's interesting. And, and I think from the Oilers' standpoint, it's pretty clear what they want to happen here. I mean, this is – the Oilers feel that they're right on the cusp of competing for a Stanley Cup. I think the results show that. They were in the Western Conference final two years ago, made it to the second round this last spring. Um, you know, they have a team that it's, they're trying to get over the hump. And as they're doing that, uh, they, they face some big decisions. I mean, the first – that isn't maybe discussed that much is Ken Holland, their general manager has one year left on his contract and he's at an age where I don't think it's a foregone conclusion necessarily that he will return. I know he's been quite, you know, he hasn't really been very committal when asked about his own future. I'm not sure he yet knows exactly what he wants. And so, you know, my read on the situation is one, they wanted to bring someone into the organization to oversee the succession plan for at the GM level. And, you know, really, if you're Ken Holland, you want him focusing on being the GM, trying to build the team that can get over the hump and win that Stanley Cup and not have to be worrying about that question for the organization standpoint. And then the second one, I think that is impossible to ignore here. You know, Leon Dreisaitl has two years left on his deal. So by this time next summer, the Oilers will be seeking to sign him to a long term extension and, and, you know, commit his future. And then Connor McDavid has only three years left on his deal. So two years from now he will be eligible to sign his own extension. And so I think it's it's clear that with Jeff Jackson's experience level, you, you may not recall this, Julian, but he worked for the, the Maple Leafs in the early days of the cap era, was a former player himself, and then has obviously had a, a pretty unique window into what's going on in Edmonton by representing Connor McDavid these last number of years, has spent a lot of time around the team, understands how they got to where they're at, and now gets to come in inside the doors, effect change from the, the, the top seat, a seat that re- reports directly to ownership and Daryl Cates, and then, you know, you're doing it at this time when you're going to have to, at some point, I think, usher in a new GM. You're going to have to try to sign Dreisaitl, and then ultimately the biggest fish, the, the, the most important piece of whatever is going to be for the Oilers is, is getting Connor McDavid's signature on a contract. And, you know, it's way too soon with three years left on his deal to, to predict how that's going to unfold. But I think if you're at the management level or the ownership level, rather, in Edmonton, you feel more comfortable going into this crucial period with someone who has the relationship in the past with McDavid that Jeff Jackson does. And so I, I think it, it's a confluence of events that, that brought him to that role. Uh, but the biggest task, I think, I mean, the immediate task of course, is trying to help the organization get over the hump, but I, I think it's figuring out the front office and then figuring out how to keep the, the core members of the team in place there. And, you know, we, we might, uh, I'm sure over the course of these next two years, wonder what if, like, what what if, Settle doesn't want to sign there. What if you get to a point McDavid doesn't? uh, We're not at that point today, but I think that that, that's kind of setting the tone for where things have to go now for the Oilers under Jeff Jackson's watch.
0: Speaking of Austin Matthews, as you mentioned just very briefly earlier in your Connor McDavid answer, any news on on him, William Nylander? This is your opportunity for uh, Leafs corner for the next little while.
1: Well, I'll say this. The good news is if you've been on vacation and not paying attention to hockey news or what's going on, you haven't missed anything. Because as we sit here on August 8th, I, I don't I don't have any reason to believe anything's going on on the Matthews front, on the Nylander front. And, you know, I don't know when those talks will maybe pick up more steam, when you'll get to a point where we're talking with them, perhaps signing an extension. You know, th- there's a lot to unpack here. I think that they're in some way separate issues. Let's start with Nylander just, just – because, if you remember when the Leafs signed William Nylander, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner to their second NHL contracts, it was Nylander who signed first. So he he had to be the first one to put his salary on the board, right? And he ended up with yeah. just under seven million. Then Austin Matthews comes in, right, and he gets eleven point six million. And then Mitch Marner comes in, and he gets ten point eight, ten point nine, something like that. And I, I think that Nylander. Probably looks back in history and says the gap in his eyes or his agent's eyes shouldn't have been that wide. And so I don't know that he's in a rush to be the the next guy to commit to his next contract first. And so I, I think that he's quite comfortable waiting it out. It's not to say he won't sign. That that's really not what I want the takeaway to be here. But I, I don't think that he feels any rush to make a decision on that next deal. And you know, I think Matthew's situation is totally separate of it. I, I think. As we've talked about, there's no reason, nothing has changed on this front. There's no reason to believe he's not going to sign in Toronto. I think He still wants to be there. Like that, That's not to, to explain why this hasn't happened yet. I don't think we should read into it that. Really, I, I think his focus is on what's the best way to get this team to have a chance to win. I mean, the guy wants to win at this stage of his career. And so you know, I think that there's going to be certainly a lot more conversation between now and the start of training camp. There'll be a question as training camp gets sooner, and we are still, what, five, six weeks away. Is it is it best to just get it done before training camp? Have, have no circumstance where the Leafs report on the first day of training camp, and everybody who's there doing a, a job like yours and ours will be talking about, when's, why is not Matthew signed? What's this contract going to look like? Are the Leafs screwed? You know, you might argue, and I'm not saying that Austin Matthews would argue this or even Leafs management, but you might argue that's not the ideal way to start the season if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup and take a step forward as an organization. But just at this point in the summer, I, I don't think it's been a, a priority. I mean, really, I don't know how, how much you've been dialed in on your IG, man, but this has just been a wedding season for these guys. Like, yeah, I, I think everyone's getting married. Get...
0: No, sir, you go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. married.
1: Ahead. I was going say – but Mitch Marner got married here recently, and both Austin Matthews and William Melander traveled back to to the, the Niagara area outside of Toronto for that wedding. There's been other people in their lives that have been getting married. I, you know, I think these guys are enjoying the summer. Honestly, I, I don't. I don't get any sense that anything is cooking on the contract front. But I will say this is a big but. Let's look at what happened last year in Colorado, where Nathan McKinnon had a nice summer. He you know, his summer was even better than these Leafs players' summer because he just won a cup. And so he got oh, yeah. to have a good summer last year, and then on the eve of training camp, there and abouts in September, he signed his, his extension in the same spot these guys are at, one year out from potential UFA. He signed a long term deal with the ABS. I, I still think that there's a lot of time for that business to get done, but I can tell you this safely: if if you just spent from July 10th till now not caring about this story, you didn't. You really didn't miss a thing. I, I think there's there's probably been some text messages ex- exchange, maybe a few conversations, but nothing. Nothing tangible in terms of you know pushing towards a, an extension at this point in time for either player.
0: Do we have time for like one really quick or two really quick ask CJ questions before we let you go?
1: Sure, let's go quick because uh, that pool is yelling my name.
0: From Wham eight seven six five four three. Best thing you guys did this summer or are planning to?
1: Well, for me, it's easy. I, I went on a European vacation. actually yes. truly spent 2 weeks where i didn't think about hockey almost at all um was quite removed from it probably the highlight it's tough for me to say i went to a couple different places but um i actually went to the italian dolomites uh a mountain region up in the northeast part of italy near the border with austria and just like went on hikes ran up some mountains looked at some mountains Probably the coolest thing. i would never been exactly to that part of the world. I, I drove there too, Julian, like a five-hour drive through the mountains. It, it was pretty spectacular. So that that was probably the highlight of my my trip. And, and you know, safe to say I've still got some fun planned in August here, but that, that'll probably be the highlight of my summer when all's said and done.
0: What about you? Okay, just give me um, – the coolest thing I got to do just uh, – honestly, just not – really care that much about what's going on. Just go home, be with my family, be with my grandmother uh, who turned 82 uh, this year and uh, be in church with her and have everyone wish her happy birthday. She really enjoyed herself. That's probably the best thing I did all summer, to be honest. Uh, I just need two teams from you for this one from Matt. What is your early Super Bowl prediction?
1: Well, the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl. And they're going to beat... Christ.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, God, I should. I knew. I knew this was going to happen. But you know what? Forget it.
1: Or should I just have picked Buffalo? It. Should I have appeased the fans and been like Dallas over Buffalo? We're going back in time.
0: Oh God! You know what would actually be terrible? You know what would actually cause a lot of people to go into hysteria if we got a Cowboys-Jets Super Bowl this year. Do you realize how that would go? That would – like, we would be pitted against each other. Those are our teams. We would be pitted against each other. It would be pure madness.
1: Are the Jets even capable of winning more than, like, six games in a season? That's
0: a great question. I, I have no expectations for this like, team this year. I'll be quite honest. Everyone say they're going to win the division or they're going to be a wild card team. They're going to make the plus. I totally expect them to fall off a cliff and be, like, 5-11 or 5-12 or whatever. I totally expect that.
1: Well, I can't remember the last time I was even concerned about the Jets. Like they're they're just always a perennial, forgotten team at this point.
0: I was in high school when they were decent. I yes, no, they have Aaron Rodgers now. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Ugh. You guys don't come to us I for, stuff. for my... NHL stuff. I thought you were going to ask
1: for NHL I thought you were going to ask for the early Stanley Cup picks, and I was like, I haven't even thought one second about that. So I'm glad you didn't nope. ask that. I mean, I'll think about it before our, our next show, but yeah, I need to see where Whenever Patrick that... Kane signs first, and then then I'll tell you.
0: That's true. Um. Thank you to everyone who, too, did for today's episode of the CJ Show. Uh, this was always fun to do the summer drop-ins. I don't know when the next summer drop-in will be. You just have to, you know, keep your ears to the streets, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page, look out for our Twitters, reporter Chris is Chris's handle, J.K. McKenzie's mine, and then you'll figure out when the next episode is coming out, man. Gotta pay attention.
1: Well, this is a surprise. I, we did, I didn't even tease this, did you?
0: I don't think I I I asked on Discord for questions, but I didn't tease it anywhere else. This is very much a surprise,
1: right? So hopefully you've just whatever your favorite podcatcher and this just drops like a a gift from the sky out of the August sky, something for you to listen to when you're out doing your exercise or your errands or whatever you do. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. I mean, I'm I'm excited to be back. We're gonna we're gonna do another one at some point, but we'll give you a oh, couple yeah. weeks to chill, Julian. I know you got you got some plans here uh, this month, so. Oh, and I know
0: that pool is calling your name. Thank you so much to everyone for paying attention and subscribing to the show and tuning in. And uh be on the uh be on the lookout for whenever we will have our next episode this summer. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace.
1: The Chris Johnston
0: Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet?
1: Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at reporter Chris, And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.